Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Early Parenting Podcast. In today's episode, I got the chance to interview the gorgeous Alex Trichillo, who is a speech pathologist based over in WA. So in today's episode, we had the opportunity to cover all things early speech development, understanding what's normal for your baby and toddler speech, and of course, beautiful ways that we can help promote language development. This is a must listen to for all families. I just loved this episode because I took so much out of it too, who I'm a mom who is also trying to do my best to promote great language in my boys. So I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. And let's go ahead and dive in. Welcome to the Early Parenting Podcast, where we help you navigate the somewhat tricky world of parenthood so you can love the crap out of being a mama. I'm your host, Jen Butler, and I'm an early parenting consultant and a mama of two busy, busy boys. Join me as I explore all things early parenting and deliver them to you in toddler-friendly, bite-sized lessons. Because let's be honest, your toddler is probably smothering pseudo-cream on the wall as we speak. I'll be dropping my hottest tips on baby and toddler sleep, feeding, boobs, behavior, and so much more. Are you ready to feel confident in motherhood? Let's dive in. Okay, hello, Alex, and welcome to the Early Parenting Podcast. Thanks for having me. I thought we would kick it off by letting you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do. So I'm Alex Tricolo, and I'm a mum to three little ones who are aged currently three, two, and one. Um, I have two little girls and a boy, um, and I love being a mum. I love doing little activities, and we love getting out and about, so isolation's definitely been challenging for us. But I'm also a speech pathologist. I've always worked with kids. I dabbled a little bit with adult work because speech pathologists work across the age ranges but I found adult work too emotionally taxing on me uh, whereas kids tend to be a little bit more upbeat and um, happy. I've worked across a really wide variety of settings. Uh, I've worked privately, I've worked in schools, I've been a mobile therapist and I've also worked for a university here in Perth Uh, for a number of years uh, working in interprofessional practice and I've become particularly passionate about really acknowledging and working together with other professions because I think we can just provide such a high quality service if we're really incorporating lots of different perspectives from different health professionals. I blogged for a couple of years about five or six years back in speech pathology this was before I had kids though so I kind of look back on that and think oh some of the stuff I was recommending was probably you know (laughs) not so practical but since becoming a mum I've just got asked so many questions about speech pathology from family and friends with kids so I restarted blogging under my own name and I've become really passionate about filling a gap So there are obviously speech pathology services, both public and private, but I wanted to give parents a go-to, a place to go that they could find out information about child development and then help them to make decisions about when to get a referral and also to assist parents who either can't afford speech pathology services because they're really expensive 
or if they're sitting on a wait list because uh, wait lists can be up to two years long in the public system. So uh, I just really wanted to fill that gap where it was. And I'm not replacing speech pathology services, but just um, filling the gap. And enhancing, like I know personally, my son was on a public waiting list for speech therapy and (laughs) we ended up getting him some private speech therapy. And I think maybe 12 months after we had completed that speech therapy, we get a letter in the mail saying that or a call from the public service saying, do you want to <laughs> come and take yeah. Max in? And I was like, oh, it is like, you know, before we started talking, we were talking about how like speech is one of those things that often it gets potentially delayed in the hopes mm-hmm. that things will improve, you know, organically on its own. So you fill in this gap of being able to enhance that if people are on waiting lists, what a fantastic way to help to tap into those families that are probably, you know, because we're not in control of these wait lists, Mm. um, but you want to feel as though you can at least try and make a difference in the meantime. Yeah. And I mean, when you think about communication, it it is the core of us being able to socialize, which is obviously huge for our quality of life. So um, if our child is missing out on one year, two years, three years of socializing because they don't have the communication skills then that's even putting academics aside it's if it's just about socialization they're really missing out so mm. it's it's, an, it's actually incredible to think about it so holistically like that because i've never thought of it that way where it's not just that you're talking it is literally how we form relationships that then mm. lead into education. So, mm-hmm. oh, well, this is great timing that we have you on, Alex. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> I would love for you to tell me a little bit about, like the, the primary age group that I obviously focus on is from birth until preschool is where I sort of try and categorise myself into, the early years before we start school. Do you want to give yeah. um, my listeners a little bit of a rundown on like broadly how speech develops from birth through to that age group? Yeah, I get really excited about this because I've talked to a lot of people who forget that even though our little babies, when they're newborns, they're not yet speaking or even giving you anything they're taking in so much. And even in utero, they are actually developing the ability to separate noise from their mother's voice. So they actually come out of the womb recognising their mother's voice, which is just amazing that they've had all that time to really tune into voices. And that's what we really want our newborn babies to do is to separate noise and voice. So, of course, hearing skills are going to be so important. And that's why our newborn hearing screens that we do for all babies is incredibly important so that they don't miss out on any of that early uh, hearing development. Babies, so like I said, they tune into their mother's voice and eventually other family members. And you'll often notice that babies tune in more so to their mum. And it really is because we use a bit of a higher pitch than the dads. So dads have to work that little bit harder and really put on that goo goo gaga voice a little bit (laughs) so that their baby tunes into them as well. And we call that motherese, where we adapt what we are saying. And the thing about motherese is that we don't actually want you to change 
the words that you are saying. So we don't actually want you to use baby talk if you can avoid it, but we do want you to increase your pitch and use a really sing-song voice so, so that they're really tuning into that rhythm of speech and sound. So, um, so yeah, that's going to be really critical. And communication actually begins before any sort of speech and language, but it begins with nonverbal skills. So things like eye gaze and making eye contact with you, having joint attention. So joint attention is where we both focus on the same thing together. So if your baby's looking at something and we're looking at it as well. And then gestures, which get really exciting when they start to do things like pointing and waving. So we really want that to happen. And then comprehension and understanding what you say develops first. And we will typically see quite strong comprehension skills coming out where you might say, oh, where's the dog? And they can actually look over at the dog. And that's really important that they're comprehending what you're saying. Then we look at babbling development. So Speechy is really bang on about speech versus language. And I'm going to just tease that apart now because we do separate those. And speech is really about the sounds that we make and um, how we communicate, whilst language is the message that we say. So kids can have a breakdown with one or or the other or both. So that's really important that we tease that apart. So then babbling is much more about speech it's much more about the sounds that they're making and we really want to start hearing babbling happening because it's the baby's opportunity to practice sounds and sound combinations and you'll see different phases of it so they start from those sort of cooing and gooing sounds which are kind of my favorite around that sort of two to three month old age and then we start to hear them do little tiny babbles like and ga, and you can hear them just working out suddenly that their lips can move and their tongue can move and it's really exciting for them. And uh, then at about seven to nine months, we are looking at repetitive babbling and this is the classic babbling that we all know. We also call it reduplicated babbling and that's because they just repeat the same syllable over and over and over. The ba 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 ga 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 ma 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 and these are actually not often words with meaning. We get a bit excited when they do do the ma 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 ma, <laughs> especially when ma 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 comes before da da da. Always a competition. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and they're actually just practicing sound combinations and not actually typically using that word with purpose. But what happens is we get so excited that they suddenly realise that those sounds have purpose and we create that link between what they're saying and that, that meaning. So that's that power there in um, getting excited and that praise for what they're doing. And then we start to hear what sounds like they're sort of talking and this is around 9 to 12 months and it sounds like they are asking you questions and telling you really exciting things or they're yelling at you, uh, but there's actually just no sense to it, you know, when they kind of go, and it, we just try so hard to work out what it is that they're saying. But what they're actually doing is they've just tuned into the intonation and the emphasis that we place and how we ask questions and they're just practising those sounds within that. So there actually often isn't meaning in there uh, in terms of individual words. It's more of a, 
a message they want to convey overall. And then we start to hear first words around the first year. At 18 months, we're hoping for about five to 20 words as a minimum. And then by two years, putting two words together. So between that, those first, in those first two years, there is a lot, a lot happening in terms of development. And what I mean by words in terms of developing a, a word in their vocabulary is it's anything that's said consistently. It doesn't have to be accurate. It can mm -hmm. be a modified version of that word because they don't have the sounds yet to be able to say them clearly. And it can even include things like animal noises or truck noises, as long as they say it the same way every time. Mm. That's what we are looking for in terms of words. Mm. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah, that's really good to know even with like that differentiation that words that sounds like, you know, all of that counts. Mm, yeah, because we get a bit stressed when they don't have any clear words, but actually we do count so many of them. That's really interesting. I love when they're developing the words and it's that modified version of it. <laughs> like one of the like a word it was probably in the last 12 months so ted's three now so between two and three he started mm -hmm. to tackle some of the bigger words like mm. uh, actually was coming up <laughs> actually did not actually sound like actually <laughs> it was actually but oh, the cutest <laughs> I know my eldest who's three now when she first started saying water she called it booker booker yeah. I don't even know where that came from but we we called it booker for so long and that's what um he max when he was little was obsessed with woody and buzz but it was wowie and car oh like, but you knew what it was and mm. so you know and the thing is is that then eventually it obviously did turn into woody and buzz but yeah. for that time while we in car like <laughs> i love it and you know exactly what they're saying <laughs> exactly. you know their language you know their mm. lingo but that's mm. really interesting like such a really good um like taking it through that the whole developmental course in that first four years like when you break it down like that you can see that language emerging in your own baby and it's really nice to see that i guess the next question i would love to chat and you sort of have mentioned some of it especially with that you know in terms of communication but Tell us a little bit about the best ways that we can actually help to promote and tease out, you know, speech and, and communication and development in mm. our babies and toddlers. Yeah, well, I guess we have to remember that speech and language is about so much more than being able to move our mouth. And I think we do get very um, obsessed with the what's happening that we can see, which is their mouth moving. But speech pathologists are much more interested in what's happening in their brain, as I'm sure you are for lots of different things. Mm -hmm. Children are literally little sponges. They are born with so many synapses in their brain uh, and those synapses are those little connections that are really linking the information together. And by the time they are two to three years old, they actually have more than double the number of synapses that an adult brain does. So in those first two to three years, we just want to give them everything that we can. We all talk about that critical period, those first three years being really critical to develop those foundational skills. So that's why I mentioned some of those pre-verbal skills in terms of the eye gaze and those sorts of things, because we really want those to come out as foundational skills before we start to see the speech and language. Because at the age of three, our brain is going to start pruning uh, and it is exactly as it sounds. Our brain prunes away the synapses that aren't being used. 
So if we are just giving them so much language and they're learning it from their environment, those synapses get strengthened, the ones that we use all the time. But if we're not using them all the time, they do get pruned away. And there's quite a a huge pruning at the age of three. So what we need to do is really make the most of those first three years. And our key tips as speech pathologists tend to include, I mentioned mother ease earlier. So if you've got a newborn, really adding so much higher pitch and sing song into your voice. Uh, Switching off background noise is a really big one. Um, I used to be a person who liked sort of to have the TV or the radio on for a bit of company. But since having kids, I do tend to switch it off because we want to give their brain the best chance possible of getting really clear information stored without any of that white noise that comes in from background noise. Uh, So that's probably number one. Number two, adding language to their day. Now, we get this advice a lot as parents to, you know, add a running commentary to the day and just give them so much language. Kids do need silence as well. So that's something to keep in mind. And I think we need silence too. (laughs) Uh (laughs) But the thing about adding language is we have to do it in context and have variety. So it's really important that if you're going to add the word car, that you add the word car to their day when they're playing with cars or looking at cars and that we aren't talking about it out of context in a different situation because kids are very concrete at that early age. They only really are storing information in the here and now of what they're doing. So we want to remember to add context, sorry, to add language in context but also have a lot of variety. So we do fall into a bit of a trap as parents of labelling things. And it's because it's really easy to attach language to objects. But if we think about by the age of two, we really need our kids to be joining two words together. They need much more than labels because it's quite hard to join two labels together to make a little sentence. Whereas if we've used adjectives describing words like big and small and colours and we've also added lots of verbs like push and go, then when we're talking about the cars and we're adding those phrases together, we've got go car, push car, red car, blue car, big car, little car. So we really want to make sure that as parents we're adding variety. And we want to get down on their level if we can and actually get eye contact with them. And for our babies and toddlers, this really does mean getting down on the floor with them, uh, especially for tummy time with your, with your little babies, um, getting right down with them. I know it's hard to get back up sometimes, <laughs> but um, yeah, just getting down so that they can see not only your eyes, but also what your mouth is doing to give them that awesome opportunity. I love some of that. I love like even the mother ease, what you were talking about, like, and you don't realize, I know that it's not always there innately and some people have to work on it, mm. like, but I just think whenever I talk to a baby, I don't even mean it. I instantly like, hello, Baba. Hello. Mm-hmm. Like, I literally, you just, you change. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's really cool. It's really cool to see that. And I love what you were saying before about what's going on in the brain is more important. Do you know that one of the biggest things I talk to about with families early on, you know, when I'm taught, especially around the world of sleep, when families are approaching me looking for some help with sleep, I'm mm. so big on communication. Mm. And I think some people look at me like I'm a bit 
loopy like that, that like that i encourage you to talk about the differences they want to make to their baby sleep and then mm. we're like, what, are you, what are you talking about like I've, they're seven months old they're six months old they're eight months old like but they know they get it yeah. like get it before they can say it I often liken that to puppies which is um a bit of a funny one but you know if you say if you even say the word walk with your dog, they're up and they've got the lead. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly the same with our babies. They, they really tune into that routine language that mm-hmm. is part of their routine of their day and um, they know. And that's what I'll often say too is that um, if you are starting communication to create a, like a statement that is regular so the mm-hmm. words become known. And just what we were saying before is like with when they say mama or dada, we give these words purpose and they start to associate it and put it into context. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that consistency in what we do. And sometimes we have to work on being consistent in the language we use so they get it. But mm-hmm. that's exactly what you're saying is, like it does take us to be conscious of what we're saying to make it be in context, basically. And that's actually funny that you say about sleep because I have had three quite good sleepers. I really valued sleep. So I did a lot of research. <laughs> and um, value sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually didn't realise how much I was building communication into my sleep routines that mm-hmm. I, you know, people would ask me what I was doing and I would say, Oh, you know, we have a bath and we read a book and we sing a song and we put them in their swaddle. But I was actually adding language to every single step of it. And I was saying, now it's time to go to sleep. I love you. Good night. And I said those exact words every night and I still do. And I think that's been really powerful. And I didn't have that realization when they were little, it was only yeah. afterwards. Absolutely. And that's exactly what I talk about is, you know, letting them know and letting them know, like, I don't even mean to do it, but for years I've been like, like the boys are three and five now and it'll be like, all right, boys, once we're out of the tub, we're into, we milk and into bed. And then we, you know, and mm. I, without meaning to, I'm always telling them what's happening next. And I've probably done it forever. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that it just comes very natural to me. I don't shut the hell up. So mm. you know, my kids have no hope at not being able to shut the hell up either. Yeah. All thing about silence is golden. I'm like, good luck in the butler household. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the same in our house. Don't oh, worry. I've got oh. three kids who think they're little speeches. <laughs> exactly. They're sitting there going, no, it's this. We talk like yeah. <laughs> They literally do. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. But I think that is very powerful communication, just talking things through, putting it in context, like all mm. fantastic tips that families can just start to utilize and make a purposeful effort in including if they can. So Alex, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, maybe some red flags, like things Mm. that I feel like parents have an amazing gut intuition into when things perhaps aren't going to plan, but some don't either. Sometimes we don't know when things aren't tracking. Have Mm. you got any obvious red flags that you want to share with my listeners? Yeah, I do. I have a couple of probably the bigger ones. So that that we really need almost immediate referral for. Uh, So stuttering is a really big one. There is a very old myth with stuttering that you should wait and see and Mm. that many kids will grow out of it. And many toddlers actually do go through a phase where they have a really huge explosion of language and this can be associated with other problems like behaviour and um, other issues that I'm sure you've come across. 
but it's such a big amount of cognitive development that they start to stumble over their words because there's just so much happening that they want to get out. And, I mean, I stumble over my words when I'm tired or excited as well, so it is human nature. But a true stutter will stick around and it will be very consistent no matter how small. And Mm -hmm. I've even seen a stutter so small that it was just a tiny addition to every single sentence that they said. So they would say, the but, I want that one. My mum, can I have this one? And it was so small, but it was every single sentence for everything that they said. So if you notice a stutter for six months or more, then it would be an indication that it would be time to get a referral because they've they've gotten past that toddler explosion and they should actually, their system should actually be coping again with getting everything out more fluently. Stuttering could be its whole own podcast. I think it's a, it's a really huge one. (laughs) The other thing to really keep an eye on is regressions. Now, parents do panic quite a lot because early on, we often see sounds or words that actually come and go. So you might hear them say a word once and then You cannot get them to say it again and they just don't say it again for a couple of months. And this is normal. But with regressions, we tend to be more concerned if there is a really significant regression, as in from talking to not talking at all or from having a wide range of speech sounds to then talking really muffled and unclear. So it's really the big regressions that we really want to be getting referrals for just so that we can work out why it's happening. There are a multitude of reasons why these things can occur and it's just worth getting checked really early. And then what I haven't spoken about is pronunciation of speech sounds. Now, we talked a little bit about this before we before talking on the podcast because uh, of your, your own experiences with speech mm, pathology. I was a bit selfish, guys, and I wanted to chuck in something here and... and <laughs> <laughs> and find out why Ted can't say certain sounds. And is it normal? <laughs> I, just, I just wanted a quick speech review. That's all I ask. Yeah. <laughs> Bring him on. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> now, the, the really interesting thing, because you do have an early parenting audience, mm. before the age of three, we don't expect any speech sounds to be mastered. Oh, Many kids will master sounds earlier than three. Yeah. But what we mean by mastery is that they are making that sound perfectly and they've got the correct mouth postures and they're using that sound accurately all the time. On its own, in words, in sentences, in conversation, it's being mastered. So you will see emergence before the ages that I tell you about each sound because they need the time to practice to get to that mastery level. What we look at before the age of three is some of the sounds, but we actually want to look more at a holistic perspective in terms of what we call intelligibility. And we expect kids to be 100% intelligible, so we understand 100% of what they say by the age of four. And at the age of sort of one to two, we actually only expect 25% intelligibility. So we often won't understand 75% of what they're saying. And this is normal. So we don't have to get super stressed about all those individual speech sounds at that early 
age because they, their system just needs time to practice. But if I do take you through some of the sounds and the ages that they do develop beyond the age of three. So by the age of three, we do expect quite a few sounds to be mastered. So the lip sounds are those first ones we want. And that's why we hear them in babble, things like mama and p and b. And also uh, nasal sounds that we produce through our nose. So the ones like n for Nelly and m that I mentioned just before. We also use the very tip of our tongue. So you can see lots of things happening at the front of the mouth. So the very tip of the tongue sounds are some of the ones like t and d. And also the back of the tongue. So the ones like k and g. You'll find them kind of trailing along behind those other ones that I mentioned, those back of the tongue ones. So they tend to be our three-year-old sounds. Then at four years, we expect them to be using the middle of their tongue. So that's some of the sounds like shh and ch. That's when those ones want to be coming out clearly. And this is also when we expect our lips to interact with our teeth. So that's the sounds like and it does take quite a bit of coordination to just tuck that lip in under, that, under those teeth to get that for the word Fred. Mm. And also all for lolly and e for yes. Mm. Uh, so, and that y can be very elusive for many kids. Mm. Um, we'll often get lello instead of yellow and those sorts of things. Yeah. And then... There are some sounds, and this will surprise a lot of people, that we don't expect mastery for until they are aged five to eight. So these sounds are s for snake that I know you're interested in. Er. Yeah. <laughs> um, er for Roger, and f, which is our TH sound uh, for the words like the and this, and for ones like thing or uh thimble or thumb, for example. And that TH sound is really one of those later developing ones that often isn't mastered until, you know, closer to the age of seven in many kids. We can actually treat sounds earlier if it is causing other issues for your child. So they are getting upset that they can't say sounds properly or the sound is in their name and they really want to be able to say their name. Really, if there's, a, there's an impact on them, then we've, we can treat sounds earlier. But we can't expect fast progress when the sound is a little bit too tricky for their age. Um, it does take a bit more work. So I hope that kind of gives you a bit of a nutshell of... Oh, um, that's great. I um, like it. It's got my head like, you know, thinking about... And it probably, like, as I mentioned, Max had speech therapy. And realistically, I think probably he was just in that age where the sounds were developing and perhaps mm. it all would have. But in saying that, also just giving him some focused things to do around it. So his thing was like he couldn't say tree, the tr mm. like the tr sound, and like things similar. Green was probably the same the, the, when it was those two sounds together. And with a bit mm. of work though, like just fun activities, like it wasn't a scary process. It was mm. just a bit of fun. And he developed those sounds. Whether that was going to happen organically, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, I mean, we can give them those boosts to, yeah, exactly. to speed ahead a little bit. Mm. 
Yeah, and Ted's thing is like you just saying that now. Like he, the S's are like it's it's sort of that bit lispy at the moment, and mm-hmm. and he like if you try and get him to say shark, it's yark. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. and you know you'll sit there and I'll say shark, and he's like yark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And, and I mean they're pretty it. impressive, really, the kids because they're compensating with the sounds that they have. I know. Exactly, because you mentioned with the Y sound that that's trickier. But in fact, he's actually doing the the yet. Like he would be able to say (laughs) yes, but he can't say shark. Mm -hmm. It's it's amazing, and that's actually really good. That parents will be able to just get a bit of an idea about if those sounds aren't emerging. Like like realistically, nothing over three yet that we we need to be. And like knowing that some of those sounds don't truly master until seven eight. That's a huge relief I'm sure for many parents like you know yeah yeah I think the thing to keep in mind is that uh that our research that we have that tells us these ages uh, is done with thousands of children and Mm. we're pretty confident in those ages so if they've hit that age and they haven't mastered it we've given them quite a bit of time to master those sounds by that age. So those are the ages at which we really would like referrals to start happening because it's going to be easier the earlier you do it um, before they've spent another two years saying that sound incorrectly. So, yeah. And I think that leads us on to beautifully on to talking about what to do, where to go, who to talk to, if we are concerned about our baby or our toddler's speech? If you want to access private services, you can do that without a referral if you're going to be paying out of pocket for speech pathology. However, if you are wanting to use private health services, you will need to get a referral. And also if you want to access public services in your area that you are able to access, um, you do need to get a referral. And we did talk a little bit about wait lists earlier on, that they can be very long. If you're going to be wanting to access public services, I really encourage parents to get a referral really early, um, as early as possible, because if you are going to be sitting on a wait list for a year, you may as well jump on that wait list and wait for a year and get to the top of the wait list and actually discover your child doesn't need it a year mm-hmm. down the track rather than wait a year for, to see if they catch up and then spend another year sitting on the wait list waiting for therapy. So really encourage early referrals. And essentially we have to recommend that you go to your child health nurse or your GP to get that referral happening because they're the ones that can do that for you in Australia at least. And what I really encourage you to do is advocate for your child. So if you've listened to this podcast and discovered something and you are concerned, you can let that child health nurse or that GP know that you really do have a concern for your child because it's having an impact on them and their daily life. And even if the checklist doesn't say that they should have that skill or that they're fine, If it's having an impact on them and their behaviour or their happiness and their mental health, then we want to see you. We want to help you with that and um, to give your child the communication to be able to live a happy and successful life. So um, advocate for your child if you are really concerned. And the speech pathologist on the other end is going to let you know if it is possible to help your child with the concerns that you have. Yeah. And that is like 
we spoke a little bit about advocating for yourself and your child beforehand and Mm. like I just think that mum dad whoever is listening you know best like you know your child better than anyone and what's the worst that's going to happen is if you feel not great about something Mm. that you get a referral you get things checked out like if the worst that you're told is that everything's fine Mm. then so be it like at least that's going to give you peace of mind and on the other hand that your gut is right and everything that things are maybe not you know progressing as they should then you're going to get the early intervention that is like research tells us early intervention you know waiting and sitting on things is not good for anyone Mm. so Mm. i think yeah trust your gut and advocate for your child is such a great message absolutely yeah yeah well this has been amazing Alex I have actually learned so much and this is actually you know obviously I was talking a bit before too how you know being a background in maternal and child health I always felt like a bit of a gatekeeper a bit of a um triage I sort of Mm. you know sometimes I felt a bit triagey as a maternal and child health nurse and it's so good to add to my knowledge bank too about, you know, when, when referrals are necessary because, Mm. you know, as maternal and child health nurses, we do do the referrals, but we don't have that expert knowledge like you do. And that is incredible to add to, and to have that specialist advice for everyone who's listening. Oh, I'm so glad I was able to, you know, add something to you and to everybody that's listening. Mm. Mm, Fabulous. Now tell me a little bit about and tell everyone who, where we can find you for if we want further information or to know a bit more, where do you hang out? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I I hang out on Instagram a lot, probably more than I should. (laughs) I am at Alex Tricolo. That's A-L-E-X. T-R-I-C-H-I-L-O. I'm sure the links will be um, provided by you. Uh, And I love answering questions. If you have the tiniest question and you just want peace of mind, please just send me a DM or an email because I would much rather save you a night of no sleep and give you that peace of mind if it's something you don't need to be concerned about or at least push you in the right direction if it is something to be concerned about. So please ask me questions. That's what I'm here for. And that is my passion. And I also have a website, www.alextricolo.com. Fabulous. And I will, I'll link to all of that um, so that people can find you easily. And what a great resource to know that people can tap into you and pick that marvelous brain of yours because Mm. you know what you are talking about. There is no doubt about that. Um, And we're very lucky to have had you on the podcast. So thank you so much for coming, Alex. Oh, thank you for having me. It was so nice talking to you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the episode, Mama. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to share the episode with a friend, with your mother's group, or tag me at Jen Butler Early Parenting on Instagram. The more that know about this podcast, the more people I can help. If you're looking for support that is personalized for your babe and tailored to your family's needs, then make sure to head on over to my website, www.jenniferbutler.com.au and check out how we can work together so you can move through motherhood with confidence. Catch you in the next episode, mama.